I think we can start, right? Yeah. Hi everyone, Data Stories number 15. Enrico here and Moritz on the other side of the ocean. Hi Moritz. Hi Enrico, how are you doing? Good, good, and you? Good, can't complain. Yeah, we made it up to 15. It's, it's crazy, I don't even remember what we did so far. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did a lot. <laughs> I, I just looked before, we did our first episode mid-February, so it's only 10 oh. months. It's See. gonna be it's gonna be one year soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not so soon, but we're getting there. Baby is growing up. Yeah, it's growing up. Yeah, we should make a party, right? At some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's up? Yeah, just working, working. doing my thing. <laughs> so, well, I finally we finally launched the Spinny Globe I have been talking about for half a year. Uh huh. So that was that FIFA project. So that's online. And just today, I, I pushed out uh, excellencemapping.net. It's about comparing research institutions in different fields. So I was collaborating there with a statistician and somebody really into citation analysis. And so we made a few world maps. Oh, uh, I should play with this fields. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have computer science there? Yeah, but it's not so... You know, it always depends a lot on which which um, data set you have access to for the publications, and it's not so much in computer science. But yeah, there's yeah. there's a there's a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, computer science is small anyway. <laughs> Compared it's, to it's other. a smaller field than you think. I, I, exactly, if you look at biology or medicine, it's, yeah, it's nothing, economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> medicine. <laughs> economics is not so big either, but uh, uh -huh. yeah, the life sciences they publish much more. Okay. Yeah. And how are you? How is New York? Are you like all like gangster now? OG, <laughs> Enrico, <laughs> original gangster style. Yeah, there are lots of Italians around, around here. <laughs> so you have your family, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's incredibly warm, actually. Mm -hmm. That's really surprising to me. And apart from that, well, it's been totally crazy so far. And I think last week has been the last, the first time I could actually sit in my office and say, what should I do next? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's been totally crazy for one month, one month and a half, and now it's getting better, better. Yeah. And I'm really excited. I think there are lots of people I would like to meet in the area. I already have some few contacts. And a couple of weeks ago, I I attended a, a meetup on data visualization. I met mm -hmm. some some folks there. It, it's interesting. So I think there is a lot of potential and I'm really, really looking forward to see what, cool. what, what can happen here. Yeah, yeah. But you're just getting started, right? I'm just getting started. And, uh, and of course, here at the university, there are lots of things to do, lots of things to set up. I, I don't even have my own computer right now. And it, it's crazy, but I think it's normal. It, it takes a little time. It's okay. It's sure, okay. Sure. Cool. I think it's going to be very good soon. Just Just a matter of time. And I will be teaching information visualization next semester. That's a big nice. thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I undergraduates or graduate students. Sorry. Undergraduates or graduate students. It's actually both. Both. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be fun. Cool. Yeah. Lots of lots of things to do, and uh, but it's good. It's good. And as I said, weather is good, and as as, <laughs> as <laughs> if it's if the weather is good, I feel good, and the rest is fine. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I was in Germany, snowing since. Oh a yeah, few we weeks. had we had first snow on on Sunday. 
on so, Sunday for the first yeah. time. First, no, that was nice, and now it's all wet. Uh, yeah, I, I think gray. I saw a picture from from Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was like for half an hour. It was there, <laughs> so but it was nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Now it's officially winter, I guess, when yeah. when the first snow comes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think we are digressing a bit, and we have a special special guest here today. We have Robert Kozara. Hi, Robert. Hello. Uh, hi, Enrico. Hey, Mark. Hi. How are hey, you? Hey, Robert. Do, do we need to introduce Robert? I mean, maybe not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so how do we introduce Robert? Is the So a lot of people know him because he, he has one of the most famous or maybe the most famous blog on visualization on the web. And uh, he was a professor until a few... What weeks, months ago, Robert? Months ago, yeah, until, until mid-September. Until mid-September, and now is is a Tableau software. So lots of things. Yeah. You you wear lots of hats, Robert, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Always have, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. How is it going? It's great. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun, and it's so far I'm very very happy with my decisions. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's working out great. I'm not sure if my blog is really the most famous, <laughs> but um, I'm it's certainly well known in it's well uh, known, in the field. Right? In yeah. academics, tend to read it, and a lot of people outside as well. So that's that's nice. Yeah. So Maurice, and you've been around for a long time with the blog. So I remember it must be five or six years, right? Yeah, I think it's six years now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what I what or I it's know in for... the sixth year, I think actually that's yeah, where we are. Yeah, yeah. I think what I know for sure that if it weren't for Robert's blog, I would never start a blog. So, <laughs> so you've been there for, for quite some time, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm trying to get more people to start blogging because I think it's That's really hard. important That's to hard. get yeah. more of our work out and, and to, to, for people to see... You know, people don't like like it when I say see more of the the really good visualization work, but it's true. I mean, there's so much stuff out there that's just pretty pictures, and and the, those get a lot of eyeballs. But I think there is a lot more to be said about understanding how the visualization works and critiquing what works, what doesn't work, and yeah. talking about the background. You know, why do you do certain things? Why do certain color schemes work or don't work? Or why is 3D a good idea or a bad idea? And so. There's a lot more depth that that I hope we can bring. That I I hope I can bring certainly to this discussion, and I I'm thinking that more people could add more to that uh, if we could get more people to blog. Yeah, I think that's still very much needed. I mean, having more people blogging, doing this kind of blogging, I think is super super useful. And um, unfortunately, I see more more and more people doing this kind of showcase kind of blogs, which is good mm. to some extent. But I mean, yeah, I think it's it's a lot harder to find a niche or to compete with the flowing data or infostatics in this area <laughs> rather than trying to say something n new or different, right? Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, I actually think it's fairly easy to do this because because exactly what you're saying, there's so much, so many people who just repost what's what's done somewhere else, and without really a whole lot of reflection and discussion. And you're not if you, if you go in and you expect to have a million readers, you know, in a year, you're not gonna get there. But you have yeah. to be in there for three years. And yeah, you, yeah, you can sure, get sure. people to read it and people appreciate it. And a lot of people actually appreciate more depth and more, um, you know, more, more reflection because they want to learn more. And there isn't a whole lot of information out there 
about visualization is actually really good. And so that's why, and, and with good, I mean, that takes a bit further than just a few examples and, and, and you know, being able to click on things. Yeah. So th th people appreciate that. And I think, yeah, so anyway, I think there's yeah. certainly a lot of, of room for that, which, which of course reminds me, how's your blog doing, Enrico? <laughs> but, that's a that's the episode about Robert Cosaro, right? It's not about it. It's alive and kicking. <laughs> no, I have some plans, but I don't want to say anything, and I don't want to promise anything. I, I have some plans. I I have some ideas, but the yeah, thing is, data stories is so good. You don't need a blog anymore. <laughs> that's the only oh, proper answer yeah. to that. Well, I, I have to confess that at some point I was thinking. Or maybe I'm still thinking: Should I should I keep doing it or not? I mean, I want to make sure that if I keep doing it, it's it's really worth it for me and for the readers. That's the point. That so far, mm -hmm. I haven't been able to add stuff that I would be proud of. I think mostly because I've been super 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 busy with the moving, but also because I I felt completely completely I don't know empty in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I actually really much prefer to don't write anything rather than writing something that is not that is not good enough. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's interesting because you had some really nice momentum going on, and also this the dialogue with with the audience worked really well. I think. On yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, I know all the problems. And at some point, <laughs> then yeah. sure, sure. At some sure. point, it, it sort of yeah, you sort of sure. stopped. Stop sure, sure. Well, let's go back to Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Much <Come on>. <laughs> more interesting. <laughs> I think we should talk about the research background a bit because I think that that's something that not everybody might be so familiar with. But uh, I think it would be really interesting, Robert, if you could briefly tell us a bit about the, the main research research themes you have been looking into. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, yeah, I'm going to give you a brief kind of an overview of a number of different things I've done. Uh, and and I'm trying to. That's what I was saying earlier. I've I've always tried to wear different hats. I like to do different things, and so some of the work that I've done it has been more on the theoretical side. So I've, we've been doing some work. That's actually the more recent work with Caroline Simkevich on uh, the, the visual metaphors and the perception and kind of the cognitive side of visualization and how how different visual metaphors and how different um, visual structures change the way we understand data and how asking a question where the linguistic metaphor is compatible or not compatible with the visual metaphor actually changes how well you can respond to the question, how fast mm -hmm. you are and mm -hmm. how accurate and so on. But this has been more on the theory side. We've also done some more practical work like the, the uh, parallel sets program, which is a technique that, that uh, I developed with a student and, and Helwig Hauser um, in 2005 or so uh, for showing categorical data because there really are very few techniques that work well for, for that kind of data. And so that's one of them, I think, that works fairly well uh, and that's fairly interactive. Uh, and, and I also tried to push that as a an actual application, though I haven't really worked on that in a while. Um, and so the, I, I like, the, obviously, also the practical side of things. And, uh, and then I, I did some work in a long time ago for my PhD thesis on blur and, and sharpness to guide people's attention. I, originally, I wanted to make it an, into an actual visualization dimension into a retinal variable, mm -hmm. but that didn't quite work out because uh, it turns out that blur is basically binary. So things are either 
in focus or out of focus. It's very hard for us to tell how much out of focus they are. Mm-hmm. And people also don't like looking at blur. So if you show people things that are more or less blurry, they really do start hating you for that. So that, that was interesting, actually. We found that in our studies. We didn't really, or I didn't quite expect that. It's also but, good if you want to, you know, you want to distract a bit from the actual numbers. You make a graphic. That's like <laughs> yeah, really tough that. to look at. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and and then uh, we've done some work. Um, a completely different type of work again is uh, on privacy in visualization. So we, mm-hmm. with Aritra Descupta, uh, we tried to figure out how we can do privacy preserving data visualization differently than by just running the uh, the usual data cleansing algorithms over the data and then visualizing that because that ends up being pretty useless because you, you, you basically destroy all the structure in the data that's of any interest. And we've done some, some early work on that, but there's certainly a lot more that can be done there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to kind of span this, this gamut of uh, from theory to practical things, from perception to modeling and so on, because I think it's all, all important. There's a lot of, of work that that that's that needs to be done there, and and it's kind of nice to have different things to work on, and and just pursuing different ideas. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's great. I, I, I Enrico, do you know any other researcher who has such a broad portfolio in InfoWiz? <laughs> I, I I couldn't think of anyone. I think that's really well, because, I, like, I, yeah, you I know of you? Um, well, actually, I think it's not too rare in mm. in in InfoViz to have such a broad set of I mean of course yeah, you can find those true. researchers who always does. do the same thing for ages but but I think there is a broad set of people in our community who really like to do a lot of different stuff and I think this mm-hmm. is due to the interdisciplinary nature of the field itself probably right? yeah yeah and often you solve maybe an algorithmic problem but along the way you run into perceptual issues or yeah, yeah. and so you naturally you, you come from one thing to the and next you have yeah. people who can easily jump from core computer science to more artistic endeavors or more um, analyzing the human side of it. it I think it's pretty broad mm. so mm. Yeah, but still, I think Robert is especially broad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I actually wanted to take the chance to to ask to Robert something I, I never had the chance to ask him. How did you actually start into into Infobiz? How did you get in touch with this field originally? I think well, your your background is computer science, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I I, I was. Um, yeah, it's a long story. I'm trying to make it short, <laughs> but yeah. the, uh, the the way I got into this was um, so I had I had studied or I was I was still studying computer science. I was doing my masters in Vienna, and uh, I had always been interested in graphics or in graphical things, in in creating images, uh, also photography and and things like that. So I've I've got a I'm I'm really more on the visual side of things than than kind of the algorithmic side, for example, and um, and I also uh, at some point actually along uh, the way I had gotten bored with computer science and had studied medicine for two years, medicine, uh, which I then yeah, <laughs> fantastic, which I then gave up again because it just ended up being a bit more work than I thought it would be, <laughs> but uh, I was like I was actually at some point I was thinking I could do I, I could do try and do both. Ah, but okay. yeah, cool. not quite. But anyway, so I, because I was looking for applications, I wanted to do things that actually made a difference. And I thought bringing computer science into medicine would be a really good idea. And it turned out that other people had had that idea before me. And so there were some projects going on 
uh, at the university at uh, Vienna, Vienna University of Technology, uh, especially in Sylvia Mix's group, uh, that were uh, where she was dealing with um, therapy planning in medicine. So basically, the idea of modeling very complex kinds of therapies, like for cancer or for diabetes and other things, and and recording those in in a way that would then guide the physician or the nurses through the whole process. And for some things, like for cancer, that can be very very precise. So you have to administer certain drugs at certain times, and it's very very crucial that it's done at at those particular times, and that you monitor all the different signs whether there is an adverse reaction or not and so on so there's a lot of information and so at some point we got to talking and uh, i started working on uh what you might call a visualization but more of like a a user, a user interface essentially to create these treatment plans because the way they were written were in in language that was a bit like lisp so it was lots mm -hmm. of of parentheses and lots of you know keywords and stuff and no physician would be able to write that and so i wrote this little uh application that lets you basically create the structure of these plans visually by having little little metaphors and put, being able to put them together and change them and rename them and so on and defining different conditions. And that's really how I got into this. And it wasn't really a visualization at this point. It was more really a, a user interface. But that's when I started looking into you know the, that field, into reading books, you know, Tufty and others, and reading mm -hmm, mm -hmm. papers and stuff to, to really understand what's going on there. And that's then how I kind of got into the actual data visualization side as well. Cool, cool. And then you did what? Uh, and this was at the time of your master or thesis? Or this was still PhD? a master's thesis, yeah. Master yeah. Thesis. Okay. And then for my PhD, I was working in that same project um, on a variety of different things, but my my actual research topic was blur. Uh, I call this semantic depth of field. So the idea was to take the idea of depth of field from uh, photography, where you can focus on on one object or on a person, for example, and then blur the rest so that you can you can guide the person's attention to that that thing or that person, so it's clear that the viewer's attention. I mean, so it's clear what the op what the subject is in the picture. And to use it in a way that's not tied to physical distance, but to semantics. So if I want you to look at a certain part of a, of a visualization or a chart or of any kind of image, I can I can just blur the rest, which is which is now a bit more common to do. Uh, there's this thing that's called tilt shift, uh, which isn't really the same thing, but people do all these little apps that can blur part of the image and then those become kind of the background and uh, and the, the in-focus parts become the, the foreground, the important part. And so that, that was basically the idea. But doing that based on what you wanted the user to look at. So maybe you had a certain thing that stood out or you were doing a search, for example, and the search result would be highlighted by, by blurring everything else. And the, the thing that, that you had found would be, uh, would be in focus. Okay. And when was the time when you actually decided to open Eager Eyes? That was much oh, later, right? Yeah, yeah, that was later. Uh, so I would, I think I actually got the domain, I think in 2004 even, or 2005. And I kind of tinkered around for a long time with my own content management system and just doing lots of stupid things. And then I ended up settling on an actual, you know, something that actually uh -huh, worked uh -huh, really uh -huh. right. So I just started in 2006, I think. Uh -huh. so that that actually was a while in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was curious to hear uh, how did you come with the idea 
come up with the idea of of opening a blog and about visualization and i think i guess i'm i'm almost sure that the idea you had originally then turned into different kind of formats and and other ideas right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. now my original idea actually was i wanted to do something that was like many eyes uh, and this was before, long before many eyes actually started. Uh, it, I wanted to basically build something where people could, because I saw that, that there weren't really many good tools out there to visualize your data. So I figured, why not build some kind of website where you could upload your data and and then build, uh, you know, a couple of visualization techniques and have people play around with them just to kind of get a sense of what that would be like. I didn't really think about the whole social aspect or anything, but that was the idea. And then. And then write articles about that. So basically, have the, the techniques there and the tools and and the the writing about. So you could kind of go between them. You could you could see uh, I don't know a pie, a pie chart for example, and then there could be articles about pie charts. And then when you are in the in the pie chart article, you could go back and see actual examples and and play with them. And that was that was the original idea actually. And uh, but uh, over time, I figured that this was just way too much work. <laughs> and yeah, I couldn't it's do that very well. ambitious. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up creating, you know, turning it into a blog, uh, yeah. and and just basically keeping the article side of it. And and that's also why it took so long to actually get started, yeah. was because I had this idea of making it basically like a wiki. So mm-hmm. I would write something, and then if you didn't agree with me, you could then go in and basically write uh, a <laughs> criticism and write your own posting on the same site. And then you know there would be links between them and stuff. But that also didn't work out because I ended up not, not building my crazy uh, scheme for a content management system myself, <laughs> but just settled on something that was ready. Yeah, and you could spend ages doing this yeah. kind of stuff. Oh, I tried out every single one that existed out there at that yeah. time. Every last one. It it was just <laughs> such a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why great. I tell people not to do that now because uh, you know Absolutely. don't do don't make the same mistakes. Just take <laughs> the most basic just things make and, a normal and, blog and start and writing. That's right. that's exactly. The, that's the best way. <laughs> yeah. Just start writing. <laughs> Yeah. I also remember the blog from these early days, I must say. And for me, it was it was quite fascinating to read about, about the research. But I also have to say I was a bit scared of you because you were always so harsh. And I was always like hoping you wouldn't pick up on me and like, <laughs> destroy my work. Like it is... Uh... Yeah, that's yeah. that's another. You had point. strong positions at that time. I mean, I think that's. that's well, I, I think I still have them. It's. Yeah. I think it's important to have a point to make because you know if we're all nice and we all link to each other, that that's great. But if we can't discuss things, you know, if you all agree on everything, then there's nothing to talk about. So there needs to be, and 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 I certainly have different ideas than than other people, and so that's the whole point of having my blog and not just you know having other people write for me basically. I mean, or write stuff that I just agree with yeah. but because there are other things that you know or there are things that i think are should be done differently and that i that i think are stupid and you know need to be criticized <laughs> that's that's why i write i mean that that's a big part of what i'm doing yeah. and it, uh, yeah i can i can see your point <laughs> I, yeah, I was, was all this time sometimes about i just kind of get and which side are you on and uh, you know we need to fight <laughs> we need to fight data art and it's not good for anybody <laughs> No, so, but right, but that. But yeah, I think okay, it, so. you're right. I mean, it it sort of propelled a certain discussion that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And I, I think in the end, we all have sort of a bit more differentiated view on on all these fields. But it, it was good to just, yeah, to bit define the different 
views you can have on info with and the different genres there are and the subgenres and so on. Instead of just saying it's all data visualization, isn't that great? Right. <laughs> so right. I, I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think from this point of view, we all, I feel like oh, we all evolved uh, a lot in this, in this kind mm -hmm. of sure. understanding how different, how visualization can serve completely different purposes. Mm -hmm. And we are much more, much more open than, but than before. At least that's my feeling. I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. But I remember myself trying to... I think what Robert said is important. I think it's true that it, it, it's really important to find the right voice when you write and trying to to be yourself. But at the same time, I have seen people doing the, the opposite, actually being being critical for the sake of it and that's bad too right <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah, that yeah. that's very oh, yeah. dangerous as well mm -hmm. so i've been people fighting fighting on on very fine points and details that in the end don't don't even matter so it's it i think it's not easy to find the right balance between the two things i mean between well, having, the having your own voice but at the same time not being overly critical for the sake of it right Right, but I think that's actually the same thing. So uh, I, I I see what you mean about, and certainly I, I probably should go back to some of my early stuff and really get a better sense of how how angry I sounded. But I certainly <laughs> I, I would I would I would certainly get you know worked up over things that I just thought were wrong, and and so I felt like you know this this comic sex KCD comic. There's somebody wrong on the internet, and you have to, have to <laughs> yeah. do something about it. And that, that's really yeah. that, that was a big part of the motivation. I mean, <laughs> somebody has to do something about it, yeah. and so that's that's where this came from. Yeah, yeah. But um, but but in a more kind of civilized way, of course, the finding your voice is really important, as you're saying, Enrico. I totally agree, and I think a big part of that is because you're looking for what is it that you care about. I, I don't think that that's compatible at all with just being angry and just being against other Absolutely. people's stuff. I mean, yeah. that's that's how I don't think anybody works that way. So you have to understand where you are and where the other people are and what the differences are, and of course you can try and you know. As as uh, Morris was saying, kind of let let's all be friends and and let's just keep everything under one big you know roof, but that's not always that that helpful because it doesn't help you understand how things actually work. And so drawing lines between different ideas and different ways of doing things is very important. And it doesn't mean that you know we have to hate each other between you know these on the on the two sides of each of those lines but simply that we understand why those are different and and what the differences are and we can start playing with those because once you understand those differences you can start looking at okay now what does this mean how can we you know find new ideas that we can take from this point and from that that area and then combine those in new ways so i think it's actually really helpful to do that but first you have to understand the, the breakdown, how the how the how the different fields differ, and how different people's work differs, and so I'm hoping I'm hoping to help do some of that at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not no, I, I do think it was helpful in the end. But angry. Yeah, yeah. So I think so. You've been you've been writing eager eyes for how many years now? Like, kind of five years. I think. Five, six. Five okay. or six years. So uh, how do and you see Eager Eyes evolving in the future? I guess it evolved uh, already a lot, right? As you are saying, starting from the very beginning, you had a completely different idea, and then it evolved in many different mm -hmm. ways. So how do you see the future of Eager Eyes? Um, 
I know that I that's know. hard to answer. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not something I've really thought about all that much recently. What I tried to do this year is just to blog more, and actually I, I started that last year, I think, is to be more consistent with my posting and really try to, to, to write one every week. And right now, I actually, I write them usually on a Sunday and then post them Sunday night. Uh, my time and so uh, that's that's helpful because it, and I have a long list of things I want to write um, and I, I just kind of go into that and, and keep reordering stuff and then just kind of be more methodical about it which I think is really important so you, if you have a, just have a, a schedule mm. I think it's really important because then you just keep doing stuff even if not everything is great so as you were saying earlier if you don't feel like writing and and sometimes like some of my postings I really hate because it was it was it was just painful writing them even yeah, if they're just like two or three paragraphs <laughs> but I just wanted to get something out and mm. and sometimes those turn out to be you know not for me but other people like them and so you know I get people to say well okay this was interesting or no you're wrong whatever but I get a response and uh, and so being consistent is good the other thing of course is that I'm 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 posting bigger things and smaller things so that, that was another thing and, and that's why I keep saying it's not actually a blog it's more of a website it's because I don't just like blogging uh, you know small things that, that live for a day or two and then they're no longer interesting but I'm also writing these technique postings and stuff where I'm trying to talk about things that I hope people will find useful and will find by googling for you know like I just wrote one on affordances so if somebody googles for affordances maybe they'll find my posting and find it useful because it talks about something that maybe others don't talk about. So it becomes more of a resource. And so I haven't really figured out yet how those fit together, how the blogging part uh, and the current thing. I mean, there is a blogging uh, or a blog category, but I don't think anybody uses those categories. So it basically just looks like one big stream of stuff. Mm. So um, I might try to get back to that point where I had, where the site layout also is a bit more structured that way. So there is kind of the stream, the, the blog, and then there are the categories for the different other things, which the, the site structure kind of does right now, but it's, it's not very obvious because there are these categories that I'm using, like criticism and um, theory and techniques and uh, a few others. But they're they're all basically just part of the of the URL right now. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that that's one of the things I want to maybe do more, and um, yeah, this... yeah, and just just keep going. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the sure, the sure. big thing about a blog is you need to keep it up, and yeah. I think that that's really really important. And just just kind of keep talking about things that I think are important, and just keeping that voice out there because maybe I can get more people to disagree with me and then start their own things and that's going to be <laughs> you know, that would be helpful uh, and and maybe we'll we'll get to the point that I was hoping to get started a few years ago where there are a dozen blogs like mine out there which would be awesome and 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 not just out there but actually alive and and you know people posting at least once a month uh, and doing that for years because there are people out there there are blogs out there sure, 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 you know sure. uh, Ricos of course and and others but many of them are mostly abandoned and and that's really too bad and of course I'm talking about visualization blogs here there are obviously tons and tons of blogs out there but with blogs there aren't that many yeah so how do we convince more people writing good visualization blogs which and by the way I think there are many other formats that people could explore and never never did oh, actually yeah. That's another thing that there are. So if you think about the old set of visualization blogs, there are basically two or maybe three kind of formats. And I think there are many, many more that people could explore and never did. 
Because I think yeah, and, and also I actually think these typical I just linked to project blocks, they pretty much migrated to Tumblr and to Pinterest. Mm -hmm. Which I think and is good, so, actually. Yeah, exactly, because these are services, they are really focused on that, they, they also help you. I mean, Tumblr doesn't help you with the archiving, but Pinterest has all these nice overviews and the boards. So it's pretty good for visual bookmarking. And so... Well, I think that uh, that opens space again and sharing and repinning and so on. No? But I think that opens space again for the blogging world to be more focused on on writing and editing. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the great thing actually about Tumblr because you can mix the different types. You can have you can have picture postings, you mm -hmm. can have text postings, and so you can just point to and you have, have links as an actual type of posting, which I think is a really awesome idea. And yeah. so you just you just link to a couple of things and then you write your own thought and then and then you have another image or whatever so you can mix the different types very nicely and it's it's just it's it's a really it's it's very easy to get started and it takes like a minute literally yeah, a minute yeah. to get started so and that also takes the whole problem away basically because in a tumblr it's clear what the gesture is it's just a quick repost or a quick bookmark and then it's fine <laughs> you know yeah, 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 so sure. yeah yeah but i mean you're right it's not so much happening in the area i mean we have the y-axis of course um right that's really good yeah you know yeah that, and there are we could have him on the show as different well. ones yeah yeah and but yeah it's, it's basically the ones that have been around a few years already they're still <laughs> around and not so much new stuff happening yeah yeah, and I think Stephen Few is still kind of from time to time blogging something, right? Like I think he's also bored of his own stuff. But he's definitely like uh, reduced the frequency of it. Can, yeah. can I ask both of you how you think blogging has helped or hindered your academic career? Because I think that's a really interesting topic. Oh, that's, topic that's a huge topic. Yeah. Is it like mm -hmm. overall beneficial or, or not yeah. so much? So, I mean, well, I can tell you about me. I, for me, it's been great because yeah. it, it my, a lot more people know who I am. So they, they, they yeah. end up checking out my work because that's also what I'm doing. You know, what I use my blog for is to post about my papers. And so a lot of people see that. And so I get more people to... You know, to read my papers than maybe otherwise would because it would be just be hidden in in the other stuff that's that's coming out, and I actually in my in my tenure case, my blog was a big part. So I, I talked about how I'm reaching people and how making connections and you know and I was able to to get a lot of interesting people to uh, to write letters for me because they know me through my blog. So it's been very helpful for me. Uh, of course, it depends very much on where you are. Uh, some some schools and some universities think it's all a waste of time. So you have to figure out you know where what the other people think because they make the ultimate decision. But in my in at UNC Charlotte and in the computer science department there, uh, people were very open to this and and they they really thought this was a good thing. And also my the people who wrote my letters actually apparently mentioned those as mentioned my blog as well. Mm -hmm. So if you have if you have the combination of you you yourself making the case, people thinking you know thinking it's a, it's a good thing or at least not being against it, and then having your your references be positive about it and and mentioning it, I think is very strong. And then you're gonna get a, a good kind of feedback loop in there, and people will buy it, and mm -hmm. it will it will help you. I mean that's so that's my story. I'm, of course, this is also very different in different departments. I don't want to make this sound like it's gonna be the same for everybody. But at least for getting your name out, I think it's it's there's probably no better way of doing it if you're doing it right. Um, and um, but also just in terms of the, that whole thing about external service and outreach and stuff like that. If again, if people aren't against it, it's the it's the best way of reaching lots and lots of people that you would never reach otherwise. 
Yeah, and did nobody like maybe think like that you're throwing out ideas too easily or being too, <laughs> let's say, too loose or too casual in the discussion? Because you know that's sort of my image that maybe it's not expected of a of a scientist to. No, but uh, no. actually, that's a really good point because I think that that's a really a big misconception. Uh -huh. The yeah. the way the way science used to work, uh, and maybe I have a bit of a of a naive picture here, <laughs> but there used to be a lot more exchange between scientists. I mean, mm -hmm. actual direct exchange, more like letters being yeah. written, yeah. and actual you know disputes where they would get up on stage and and, and mm -hmm. they would they would argue, and then uh, and people would watch that. And so there, there, this is actually a really useful way of of doing science or doing whatever we're doing, which is probably not a science, but it's you know it's something that that's kind of similar. And so the I think this is really very helpful. And for me, I don't feel like uh, you know every tiny little idea that I have I have to protect forever because if if I if I tell it to anybody, it's going to be gone and and I won't have another, another idea. <laughs> and you will never have an true. idea again. Yeah. Right. I mean, exactly. I don't know why people think that. It's just. Yeah. You know, you, you, and and other people can't really pick those things up that easily. And also, the other thing is, of course, that I'm not all that obvious in in what I'm writing about. So I'm writing about, I don't know, like like the affordances example. So I I actually did some research on affordances earlier this year, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what it's actually for, but I did that research. I can tell you that without giving anything away. And so now I wrote something about affordances, and maybe I'll write something about color next because maybe I did something on color. And you're not going to steal my idea because sure. of that, because yeah, yeah. I'm just writing about things that are somewhat related to what I'm doing, but not the exact thing. Of course, if I'm if I'm going to lay out my entire research in front of you, it's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. But sure. but it's uh, it's never the idea. Then. It's never the idea itself. It's more the way you implement it right. that that really makes a difference, right? Mm -hmm. So if I just tell you the idea. You're not gonna to de develop this idea the same way I do, and that's where the difference is, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, of so, course. I mean, ideas right. are super overvalued. Anyways. Yeah, absolutely. You no, know, and then there's the startup that gets sold for a billion, and everybody says, "Yeah, I had that idea ten it's years ago." It's never like the idea. This, this <laughs> whole <laughs> idea thing—it's a myth. It's never yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea itself, right? Yeah. You know, Kyle McDonald, he's like a hacker and artist from New York, and he keeps posting these project ideas on Twitter. So whenever he has a project idea, he just posts <laughs> yeah. it to Twitter. Sort yeah. of hoping that somebody does it because he cannot realize them all. <laughs> and so, exactly, yeah. You know? and, thinking, I mean, and then when somebody does it, actually, he's genuinely happy that it's it's out of the way. You know, it's done. Oh, right. excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Well, you, know? you have a lot more ideas than you can ever do. I mean, there are so many projects I would like to be able to do so many things. I'm never going to get... You know, anywhere near that. Yeah. So you know, that's no harm. Of course, if you're a grad student and you're working on a particular project mm. and you've invested a lot of time in it and you're about to publish it or you haven't published <laughs> it yet, you know, and you're working on your final studies, don't tell the whole world exactly what you're doing because that, that's a bad idea, obviously. But you know, being being you know, be intelligent about it. It's mm -hmm. not that that hard to figure this out. Yeah. And and no, you don't but, have but to start I, I was by thinking also about more about this. Doesn't like old academia, if this thing exists, maybe I have, my head is full of cliches, but doesn't maybe old academia think you, you are a bit too a lightweight if you communicate in this way and, you know, and like quickly throw out comments about stuff. But, well, first of all, I think it's not quickly throwing out comments, right? Mm. I mean, you can have a short blog post, but you maybe spend a lot of a lot of time thinking about it before writing even one single line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think Robert or myself, I'm not, I can tell what I do. I, I never, 
I almost never write something down that I think is totally shallow. I, I try to spend some time yeah. thinking about it. And I think it's the same for Robert, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing is, I, I mean, all of us have Twitter accounts and we, we tweet stuff. And I don't always think all that hard about my tweets. <laughs> but I think that should be, you know, I don't think there is some kind of code of ethics that all your thoughts have to be really deep and, and you can never go back and say, oh, that was actually wrong. Yeah. So you I don't, I don't see right. this as a problem. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. if you're really nasty, there's there's also a line between being critical and being and just you know being able to criticize things and saying something is not good, and being nasty and being being really, uh, you know, going to the point where you're really starting to hurt people, and that 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 obviously is something that you don't want to cross. But, yeah, but uh, I don't think I do that, and neither on my blog nor on Twitter. So I don't, I don't feel like I have to be super careful with what I'm saying because I'm, I just don't think those nasty, horrible thoughts. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think I'm going to write them. And actually, I would put it the other way around. So if you are in academia today, in the world we live in today, there's so much information around and so much noise that actually I would, I, to any academics, I would, I would like to ask, do you have a strategy to actually advertise your own work? Because nobody's mm. going to mm. notice it right. if no, you don't have a strategy. Exactly. Yeah, so this yeah, could yeah. be a blog, could be Twitter, could be a web page, could be, I don't know, whatever. But if you don't have a strategy on how to put your voice out and let some people hear it, you're basically, I mean, you might be lost, right? Or, yeah. I mean, you can keep writing paper after paper, but then 10 people are going to read it, and that's it. Exactly. If you're happy mm. with it, fine. But <laughs> what is the, I mean, I mean, if you think about and, it, if you think about how academia evolved during the last, uh, I don't know, I think 10, 20, or even 30 years, the, the image of the scientist in a lab doing his own thing, and there are, I don't know, another maybe 20 people around the world doing doing similar stuff and that's it that's that's gone forever right now mm. you have so many researchers and so many competing people and ideas and environments that it doesn't make sense right so exactly well and collaboration too and you just want and to collaboration too uh, sure and get things out there and and just really make make it available to people because that's in the end that's what you do it for it's not just to have another item on your on your cv but to, yeah. to get it out there and get people to actually see it and you know maybe maybe it, it ends up going nowhere but at least it had a chance and mm. if it's just one paper out of ten thousand that are published every year you know no one's going to see it or very few people are going to see it yeah I think we could actually make an entire episode on this academic yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I'm <laughs> also very convinced that the whole publishing business has to change. It's you know, flawed. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and I think that should be part of it, this like engaging, like this continuous integration sort of thing, you know, <laughs> that you, uh, you, you, you spit out research results in much smaller portions and, you know, use that to get in touch with people and I sort mean, of refine everything together and so on. And yeah, right. yeah. I, I really like that, so... I mean, yeah, maybe that could be an extra episode. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 I mean, honestly, we all grew up as researchers in this in this mindset where what really counts is publishing papers, right? Mm. And it still is like that because you are evaluated like according yeah. to to these metrics. Yeah. But what really matters is impact in the end, right? So mm. you want right, to exactly. have an impact, and that's that what really matters in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, anyway, well, and, let's, and let's... You don't want to blog instead of writing papers, but you yeah, want to help sure, your sure, papers sure. use a blog. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so why don't we move to your recent stuff? Yeah, uh, the real Robert. story. <laughs> the real story. <laughs> the I think real story. Originally, we really wanted to talk with you about your, your big move to Tableau. Mm -hmm. 
out of academia. So uh, I don't know what's the story behind that. <laughs> I know you you wrote you wrote a blog post about it, but it would be nice to hear yes. it from from you. Sure. I mean, I think it's really really uncommon having somebody leaving academia for going yeah, to after so tenure and going to actually uh, to you would be surprised. So I, I uh, I'm in touch with with a, a woman who's writing a story right now for. The Chronicle of Higher Education, and she was asking on Twitter for people who who had left academia and had left tenured tenured positions um, to go into uh, into industry, and she's oh, overwhelmed by the response. So she's got a lot of people to I respond to her, Robert. which is interesting. So He's back. I'm I'm still here. Can you hear me? <laughs> I, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Hello. Yeah. Sure. 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 We can hear you. We can hear okay. you. It was just a little okay. lag. Yeah. Just a little. All right. Okay. So, um, and so it's interesting that, and actually, when I told people, when people found out that I had uh, moved to Tableau, a few people actually said to me that there is some kind of of uh, of trend now of people doing that, which is interesting. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that, uh -huh. but apparently, so apparently, there are quite a few people who have done this, and there is. I was trying to kind of summarize some of the ideas or some of the reasons for the for that move in my blog posting, but this was just a small part of it. It's really there isn't a single reason for doing this. It's all just a number of small things, and just the timing was right. So I was doing my sabbatical at Tableau Software starting in January, and my my plan was not to stay here. My plan was to just you know, do my sabbatical, do my one year, do a lot of interesting research and talk to lots of people and figure out what I'm going to be doing after because that was certainly also part of this year is to figure out, okay, now, you know, post-tenure, there's this kind of this, this kind of lull, you know, you know, you've worked a lot for a long time to get that and now now what? And so I wanted to figure out what will be my next research direction, what 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 kinds of grant proposals can I write and stuff like that. And so over the first half of the year or so, I actually traveled quite a bit and talked to lots of people and at some point in the summer I started thinking and people actually here at Tableau started asking me uh, whether I was actually going to really go back or whether I was going to stay and without really much of a thought I think but I kind of started thinking about this and uh, over the summer uh, Chuck McKinley started building this research group uh, and uh, and, if, and I talked to a whole bunch of people and I, and I enjoyed the work here and um, so I started talking to Chalk and Pat Hanrahan and others, Chris Stolte, um, about potentially staying here and, and that's what I ended up doing and so by the end of, uh, well actually it was the beginning of the semester basically so late August, early September I essentially switched over to being full-time uh, at Tableau. And so some of the reasons for doing this are certainly that it's much easier to... Um, so one thing I really enjoy doing is, is being able to actually do my own research <laughs> because at the university what you end up doing very much <laughs> very weird. often is... Yeah, I know, but uh, that's, that, that's perhaps the biggest thing is that you end up being a manager of your students because you, you tell them you know what to do, you help them mm -hmm. with their little problems, uh, you guide them, you spend a lot of time either teaching or advising students and then of course meetings, but the two big things for me were always teaching, which is just this big chunk of time that, that that's eaten up by it. 
uh, and and advising. And I, and I enjoy doing both. I enjoy teaching and I enjoy advising students. But the problem is that at the end of the day or at the end of the week, I, I have like a few hours for the whole week that I actually left to do actual work myself. I mean, other than administrative stuff. And so here at Tableau, I was able to just, you know, I had for the first few weeks, I had not a single meeting and my, my calendar was completely empty, like, you know, morning till night, nothing. <laughs> I could just do whatever I wanted. And that was, that was like such a, such a, a new idea, a new feeling of freedom. That was just unbelievable. And so then and so being able to really get back and really get my hands dirty and actually do my own research, do my own, you know, actually read lots of papers again and not just rely on the students doing that and uh, and 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 hacking, you know, doing lots of prototyping and things like that. That's just really good to be able to do that, and so I enjoy that. And and the other thing, so that that's really one big reason. And the other thing is that um, I also like having impact, and that's something I'm really missing at the university, being able to do things that end up making a difference and i feel like i can do that a lot more here because from almost from the beginning here i was i was talking not just to chalk but to developers here who are very interested in research they all want to know what i'm working on and you know how they can improve the project product and, and their own different things and to the program managers and to all kinds of different people and just just very quickly kind of getting involved in in development essentially uh, in a way that that I really enjoy, which is not actually having to do all the the small kind of things like all the development work actually myself, but being able to think about how else could this be done or how could we do you know blah differently and whatever. And so being able to 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 work on on different levels, both on this kind of visionary kind of high level thing, and then also talking about features, talk about individual little things that we can do, is really interesting. And then being able to get it into a product. In a time span that's not, you know, decades, but that's a year or so, uh, or even just a few months, perhaps, is really exciting. And being able to then see how people actually use it, because we we have a very good relationship with lots of, of our customers, so we can get a lot of feedback from them. And and so being able to actually test things, not just by having, you know, forcing some students in a lab to actually click some buttons, but to actually have real users really use the thing for their actual work with their own actual data that they know that they care about makes a big difference. Mm. And so understanding or, or being able to build things that and, and develop and, and design things that will become features and it will be hopefully be useful and finding out how useful they will be or maybe not maybe they will be hopefully obviously they will be it's really exciting and so being able to do that is just something that i was really missing at the university well, those are just two things perhaps there are a couple there are lots of other things but that that's those are really the main things the main reasons and i mean i, I can also tell you if you want <laughs> to hear more about the the research here at, at tableau uh so there is a, a research group that um that was just restarted in the summer that uh, Jack McKinley is running as part of, of another group that's doing a lot of uh, user experience design, user interface design. And uh, we have uh, three, four researchers now, uh, me being one of them, uh, uh, the other people, um, well, the person who you, you might know from the visualization uh, conferences is Anushka Anand. She started mm -hmm. in the summer. Uh, yeah, and then, then there are two other folks who are here as well. And so we're 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 doing we're all doing different things. And we actually the, the nice thing about this group is that we're not actually working together as a group so much as we we each working with developers, with program managers, mm -hmm. and others, mm -hmm. kind of outside. So it's not a you know a little 
kind of little bubble of research that that's not talking to the rest of the company, but we're very much in the middle of it all. So we're talking to everybody and are involved in the actual development and everything, which is great, mm-hmm. and the testing mm-hmm. and everything. So it's really nice to be able to be involved and, and actually, you know, be hands-on and build things. Then. Can you tell us a bit what, what you're working on, what, what your uh, research pursuit sure. is? Yeah, we also so, had that question uh, on Twitter from, from the yes. journey, and I'm interested too. <laughs> so, sure. yeah. so my, my research, and this is actually the, the, the still uh, basically the, the same thing that I, was, that I set out to do for my sabbatical, is to work on storytelling in visualization. So mm-hmm. how can we tell stories more effectively using data or about data and using visual means. And so what I've been trying to do is try and figure out um, basically how how do stories work that are in the news media or that people just kind of build for different purposes for presentations. Mm. Presentations that's on yeah yeah. Yeah. And how do you tell those stories? So some of those stories are told like um, Hans Rosling style with with a presenter there and mm-hmm. and you're basically using the the visuals and kind of explaining what's going on and maybe jumping around and, and making it really interesting, and many of those <laughs> are more like the New York Times does these things where you click through uh, maybe some you could call it a slideshow but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a slideshow but you have basically steps that you click sequence, through yeah. and right a sequence of of different configurations basically and you see mm-hmm. different different things and. Uh, uh, and it's also interesting, actually, to look at how the news news visualizations work, because not all of those, actually, a lot of those are not stories. They're just uh, supporting data, and the actual story is in the written part. Mm-hmm. But some of them are really very nice stories. They actually take you through a sequence. They, they tell you something without you having to read the actual article, or they, they're just completely self-contained. And so that's what I'm interested in, is how do you present data, and how is it different from... Uh, from analyzing data. And one of the things that's really different there, which is something I realized and that I'm still trying to convince people <laughs> that this is important, um, is that, that memory actually plays a role. Because in analysis, you don't really care about memory. You care mm-hmm. about, it's not because your, your machine is your memory, it has all the data yeah. and you can just access it. And that's actually the point of the visualization. You basically uh, externalize the memory to the machine, which is which is great. But when you're trying to get a point across, what you want is, or when you want to tell a story, like about, uh, I don't know, I just write this thing about um, uh, subsidies for different industries in different states that the New York Times is running right now. Uh, and so you want to you want people to remember something. There's a takeaway, and and so with, if they don't remember anything, then then you haven't communicated to them because <laughs> you know they, they didn't retain anything. Yeah, yeah. And if you show them the same, you know, the same bar chart with the same color bars and everything for five different stories, they're not going to remember anything. That's that study from mm-hmm. a few years ago that that compared the Nigel Holmes type uh, graphics to bar charts, Which, or to to other kinds of charts, simple charts, basically yeah, very yeah. very bare charts. And so the question is, how do you how do you get people to remember things without maybe going overboard and or without having to create things that that you just won't be able to do easily, like you know drawing a completely um, a completely new and 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 uh, very specific infographic about your data. And and there are some ideas there about how you how you sequence things, how you can what kinds of of ways there are to lead people through a visualization. And I'm actually I've got a paper that. Uh, uh, that's kind of the review, so maybe I won't talk about this too much. But, <laughs> but uh, about how you uh, how you can do that, and how the 
and and some of those techniques are fairly general. They can be used for for not just for really storytelling, but also mm-hmm. just for a display, maybe like a poster, and and to kind of give you a sense of what's important or what's the hierarchy between different parts of the of the data. Yeah, yeah. So basically, trying to go because there's there's this whole thing about how visualization. Um, Includes exploration, analysis, and presentation, hmm. but but the first two things we know fairly well now. There are lots of techniques, but presentation is still very poor. We have a very poor understanding of what it actually is, and we just assume we can use, uh, use the same things. Yeah, or oh, this general thing. idea that people that the visualization is not just the end product, but plays right. a bigger role in a, in a workflow, in a social setting that is yeah. being passed on, and sometimes you might want to have a very abbreviated version just for the meeting, but you might have a different version that is much more in detail, you know, for a different purpose, and all these, yeah, these these workflow and and yeah, the social role of visualization. I think that's just being realized now. How much is missing there, <laughs> and, or how much better it could be, you know, if the tools would support that really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think what is really interesting here is that research in Infovis has been focused on on exploratory tasks for ages until yeah, yeah. I don't know, a couple of years ago. And it's I mean, true. that's where it came from, Tuki and so on. You know, that's like, yeah, yeah sure. I mean, it's clear sure. that this is, has been the focus. Yeah. yeah, but this whole idea that Robert mentioned, how do you go beyond that and how do you actually use visualization to let a specific message or piece of information stick into people's mind that's totally new and it's it's <laughs> it's it's really fascinating and there are many mm. other aspects of visualization or visualization uses that have never been researched in depth that i think there is there is a whole spectrum of things to to research there it's really really interesting yeah so yeah. i think yeah, it's absolutely. great it's and great. the knowledge in this area is much more like practical or implicit that some people are just good at it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. and I think there's little really uh, like structure. It's really hard research. to tease out actually because yeah. you, know, you can see yeah. things like the New York Times folks. They just do a really good job at it, yeah. and then you're you're like, okay, how did they do that? Why is this yeah, one so much yeah. better than the other one? And it, it's actually quite hard to, to figure this out. And I'm still working on this. This is not you know in any way finished, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there are there are some really interesting ideas that we can we can glance and I think that also or that we can glean rather and then uh, also things that I think we can actually take a lot further because I think we're, we're at the point now where we're starting to do this and do it well but I think there's a lot more out there that we can do and so trying to kind of you know push the envelope a bit here to figure out what yeah. else is there uh-huh. what other ideas are there out there mm-hmm. for and how to tell stories. My guess Robert is that there is also a technological component here, right? So the actual tools we have today are not really tailored into making this right. whole process easy to, to do, right? Exactly, yeah. And yeah. I guess that that's one aspect that really interests... I mean, I think what is really interesting from the Tableau point of view is how to sure. make these this tools, right? Exactly. So how do we how do we enable users to to tell mm-hmm. better stories? Mm-hmm. And some of that is, and it's not all going to be about features because features can can help certainly, and there will have to be features at some point. But uh, it's also about how you how you give people kind of a starting point because I think that's and and get them to think in those terms, and that's going to be actually pretty difficult to figure out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> because you know technology is is relatively straightforward mm-hmm. uh, once it's done. That means it's still a lot of work and everything. But the the other side is just showing people kind of a different way of thinking and I think that's really going to be very exciting yeah, yeah. to see how well that works and how yeah. what people can come up with because once the, the, those tools are out there it's going to be really really awesome to see what what people will will build with them 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that, that would be the best just to roll out something quickly and then just see how people use it. I think this will be the best inspiration probably. Yeah. Cool. Sounds great. I mean, we do have a few more listener questions, so we could go through these briefly, if okay. you like. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Just quick uh, answer. So Jan Willem <laughs> uh, asks, um, so there are rumors that there will be a tableau for Mac, which would be super <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and And he wants to have details here. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> this was, I think this was uh, announced at the Tableau customer conference that there will be a, a Tableau for Mac. Uh, the I believe, and I'm not actually sure, but I think this was announced to be next year. Uh, but I can't tell you anything more specific about, the, more. about the date. Ah, but what I can tell you is that a lot of people are asking about it. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> this will be a huge event. <laughs> I think that's request out. number one. for Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think parallels, so you know, the, the <laughs> virtualization software will like stop being sold immediately because I think it's the only <laughs> reason to buy parallels is to have Tableau run on your Mac. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, but it's true. I mean, it's, it's really important to, to, uh, to get that out, but it's not going to happen right away. So mm -hmm. we will, we'll be releasing Tableau 8 uh, in the first quarter of next year nice. and I, I think I hope it's safe to say that uh, it's not going to be released with that version mm -hmm. but it will it will be a bit later but it, it's it's coming it's um, coming yeah that, that will make a big difference I mean I think yeah I think so. for <laughs> opening to new users and just getting oh, a, yeah. a, a quite a few new people into the product yeah Oh, and there are tons of, you know, the, the Tableau customer conference, you saw lots, lots of people with Macs, so there's yeah. certainly the demand. <laughs> and they feel the pain that all their keyboard shortcuts oh, yeah. don't work and it's all. But I have to say, I mean, I, we, I worked on the Emoto, on the Olympics thing, um, uh, also with Tableau quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I was actually working on 12 million tweets and their mm -hmm. metadata uh, in inside Parallels on my Mac and it worked. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. was like super fast, but it... Wow. It was doable. Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. quite amazing. I mean, and yeah. Moritz, I know, crazy I, times. I know you <laughs> are a Moritz. Pardon? I know yeah. you are a big fan of Tableau. Are there? Did you ever have a project where you didn't use Tableau at all? Um, yeah, it depends. I mean, the amount to which I use it depends a bit. You know, if I have a network data set or a hierarchy, okay, it's, yeah, it's oh, not that's a big another help. another big thing. I yeah, think. yeah, that's that's another topic. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want but, this kind uh, of tool that do everything because then I don't know. I mean, probably, yeah. But I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt if there was hurt, like yeah. support for hierarchies. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't take away anything from the core product. I think it's yeah. just yeah right it just needs to be done well so that's uh, yeah the second big thing i i have an issue with is if you have one field that can have multiple values like tags mm -hmm. very hard to work with that because you need to oh, sort of okay. expand it into rows that have duplicates in all other mm -hmm. fields and then you have to like count unique and ba 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 and so that's it's also it's not part of the the core concept that one you know yeah, there might be multiple on, values in one field. Right, that's really not not what a tabular data set usually has. So because each value, I mean each exactly, yeah, yeah, it's not part of the core for assumption. Each column. Yeah. So that that makes it a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there are workarounds. Exactly. I have these Python loops that expand everything, like blow up the whole table. And <laughs> right. Well, I guess you can you can use blending also to, to maybe if you have to have the tags in a different table than the original data, then mm. you can you can actually connect them. So there might be some tricks that might make this easier. Yeah. 
Might be. <laughs> but yeah, the parsing you will have to do by hand. There's yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I don't think there's a way around that. Extra table is a good idea, though. Yeah, might, might want to keep that in mind. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next question. Um, John Kelly says we should ask you about Cleveland Gate. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is Cleveland Gate and why why is it important? Well, <laughs> so I was trying to. So, this, yeah, this started um, the. Uh, Justin Talbot, who's also now one of our researchers, uh, he's a, he was a student of Pat Hanrahan at Stanford. Well, he still actually is. He's still finishing up his PhD. He did a very interesting study on the idea of this, this idea that's called banking to 45 degrees, which is an idea that comes from Cleveland, Bill Cleveland, mm. who wrote, I think, in one of his books about the study that he did uh, or had done in the early 80s about how uh, what the average angle or the average slope of, of the lines in the line chart should be so that people can read them, read the difference between two lines well. Yeah. And th th there's lots of, of details here, but there was a paper that he had at InfoBiz, which I thought was really, really awesome, uh, that basically questions some of the assumptions. Of, basically, what, well, so first of all, they tried to, re to replicate that study. And they found that there were some issues because the, the, the the parameter space that they, that Cleveland had explored wasn't actually complete, but they had, I think he had only, he started the, the slopes that he was comparing at 45 degrees and then went higher, but not lower. And ah. so he ended up having this, this, this model that said, well, uh -huh. the, the accuracy uh, increases down to 45 degrees, but then his basically, it, it, it bumps against <laughs> the end of the, of the data. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, Maybe and you wonder what happens afterwards, the, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and then the assumption was it would go back up, but it wasn't actually borne out by the data. Oh wow! And so they did they did the study that added more comparisons and more angles, more slopes, and ended up showing that that was actually not entirely true. That the model actually that 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 line kind of continues, and <laughs> that that lower angles, lower slopes are actually better. Mm -hmm. But of course, they, those lead to very very kind of hard, those are big charts that that end up having other issues. So the because if you get if you get very narrow or very um, mm. shallow kind of lines, yeah. it's also hard to see differences. So that's not what you want to do either. But that's kind of an interesting. So, so the, the, and what I was trying to do with Cleveland Gate was basically to play this up into a big scandal to say that <laughs> oh, this assumption that we've oh, had you know for it's wrong. <laughs> right for decades, it's not actually true, and people just kind of never, uh, never question it. Yeah. And uh, but now we see that we're, it's all wrong. And but it's, of course it's not wrong. It's just that <laughs> some of the basic assumptions. Uh, you know, aren't entirely correct, mm -hmm. which is fine. This is not actually invalidating it. And now the question is actually, what do we do from here? Because th the question is now the trade-off between uh, the the things that Justin found and uh, and basically trying to to uh, figure out how how high your or how how steep your lines need to be so that you can read things well when not comparing. And so there are basically trade-offs between different types of, of of tasks in a chart. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I always love that when when these simple truths get a bit debunked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's the same about the golden ratio. You know, everybody knows golden ratio looks good until, you know, they, or they did empirical studies and actually nobody cares. <laughs> it's like <laughs> roughly two to three is fine, you know, or like, yeah, like right. two thirds, uh, two to you one. You can't tell so. that, that, that looks fine, it's but it's this 0.61, nobody cares. <laughs> 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 and I, I always love it when these like, yeah. 
common truths get debunked by just looking at but that makes what the, the actual interesting. responses are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because it's 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 asking such a such a deep and, and fundamental question mm. that that a lot of people never think about. So this is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it didn't quite work out. I wanted to make this into a big scandal, but it didn't get there. <laughs> Nobody but maybe, maybe I'll find something else that I can get people worked up about. Yeah, yeah. I think one could very, very well build a whole PhD thesis by redoing what Cleveland oh, yeah. did and expanding on top of it. Yeah, no, there is so much that, stuff out there. And I think that paper is a good starting point. So if if anybody's yeah. looking for a PhD topic this is probably a really good way of, of getting started i uh, agree looking at some of, of cleveland's books and papers and looking for those yeah those boundary issues and then trying to figure out what what the trade-offs could be and then running a couple of studies that would be very useful and and highly valuable and and would make a, an awesome phd yeah absolutely more maybe even more than one <laughs> i think that actually i think the same is true for bertan if you take the semiology mm. of graphics and you try to do the same you you have so much material there that and it's yeah, not. But I that's think, the type of PhDs that take ten years and drive you nuts. Well, you could you could actually take a segment of it and, <laughs> yeah, and focus sure. on that. Yeah, yeah. And there are there are so many starting points there. It's you can you you could very well build a whole career on top of it. I think. <laughs> anyway, and let's move to. I think we have more questions, right? Yes, Andy Kirk, visualizing Andy. data, asks. Yeah. <laughs> does does Robert see a future for word clouds as the final slide of PowerPoint presentations? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, a more common thing I think this year at the conference. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, it's it's you know, word clouds have all kinds of issues uh, with perception and you know word length uh, making a difference in how big a word appears and everything. Sure. But as illustrations, you know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I don't have an issue with that. So you do you do see a bright future for word clouds? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, and they're pretty, so you know, people always put them on their slides. So yeah. Will Tableau have a word cloud uh, plugin type thing? But we actually we do have a new. This is a feature for Tableau eight. Uh, is that that there are now word clouds as a feature? Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, you can build I, uh, them directly in wow. Tableau. Yeah. I hope the nice ones where you know the, everything is like you can have words inside words and stuff. No. Like <laughs> <laughs> no. They're not wordless. So yeah, they're exactly. Actually, yeah, wordless sort of killed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're they're really they're they're work that they're. Uh, I don't know exactly how the layout works, but it's not overlapping the words. That's for sure, mm -hmm. and they're not yeah. inside each other. Simple, but, a traditional tag cloud type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, exactly. The yeah, proper, yeah, right. yeah. 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 So they're they're also no they're not rotated or anything. They're just all facing the same direction and and they're just sized and you can color yeah, them yeah, and everything, yeah. and it works but, pretty well but, actually. But I bet that must have been super sought after. Like why can't I build tag clouds? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But the other thing is also uh, tree maps. That's a new feature also in Tableau eight. That's nice. So yeah, that's those good. are also and they're actually really useful because you can do multiples of tree maps and you sure. can connect them to other kinds of of charts and they're really they have yeah, a lot yeah. of really cool uses. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, next question. Andy Cotgrave asks, um, his influences, Robert's influences series is great. So, you have on your blog, you have, you always ask a few like legends of InfoWiz what their main influences were. And so, Andy's question now is, what are your influences? <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting question because my early influences were mostly, weren't actually necessarily. The usual things you would you would think uh, it's, it's mostly um, individual papers that I read, uh, like mm -hmm. Ben Schneiderman certainly was a big influence. His uh, 
taxonomy. Uh, his uh, DIs have it. Mm-hmm. A task by data the type. Mantra. Um, yeah. Taxonomy of visualization. I forget the exact title. Um, and uh, the readings in InfoViz book that uh, Chuck McKinley did with Ben Schneiderman mm-hmm. and uh, Stu Card. That that now is kind of dated, but it's uh, at that time this was. Uh, yeah, around 99, 2000. That was just when it had come out. It was really good, and uh, and it, well, it's still good, but because there's a lot of, of interesting thinking in between, and uh, but uh, but there's certainly more recent work that that isn't in there. Um, one thing that I found really fascinating, and that that may have also, I think that actually changed my thinking quite a bit, is uh, Rudolf Arnheim and his books on um, perception and, and in art. So he was a, an art psychologist and he was doing a lot of interesting, he had his books, The, the Power of the Center and um, a few other books that I forget the titles of mm-hmm. that are really interesting because they, he talks about uh, Composition in in uh, in abstract art, for example, and why certain things are certain ways, and it's, it's mm-hmm. really interesting to see that because a lot of the same ideas actually come back in in visualization, where, which is also kind of a bit like abstract abstract art because you can pick whatever you want as your uh, as your layout, but there are certain rules that you still need to follow, uh, and and that means to make it easier to understand. What's going on. And, and did that inspire sort of the applied dynamics research? Not directly, no. Not directly, but but we certainly did. So we didn't. We certainly went back to read Arnheim and yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and other things because there's a lot of interesting work in there. But we, uh-huh. we didn't uh-huh. quite start there. But it, okay. it, that was important. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's so under researched. So before you wrote, and it was only one paper actually, or, or two maybe you published, right? There before I always said like research is ignoring you know this whole <laughs> emergent dynamics that come from you know that that sort of happen when you put visuals together you know you, right. you have a center of gravity and you have a direction in which you read them and you know and the, all these things and i was always like saying like oh research is totally ignoring that and to a degree it's still true i, I guess yeah. well and the other thing is so there's actually there's another uh research topic if you if anybody's looking for phd thesis topics there's a lot of work to be done <laughs> oh, lots of gold nuggets dynamics here. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and and metaphors and i mean the really the deeper questions mm. about how visual metaphors work there's a lot of stuff yeah. to be done there visualization between the lines you know oh yeah yeah Th- thesis yeah, title yeah. thesis title done yeah yeah i like that <laughs> yeah. yeah but rudolf anheim sounds sounds great so I'll, I'll definitely follow up on that i'm, I'm not familiar with him so Oh yeah, you should definitely. He was Mm -hmm. really good. Yeah, sounds good. Last question. Lane Harrison asks, how much work was it to prepare parallel sets for release and was it worth it? That's a a lovely question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Did did you count the hours? Probably not. No, it was a lot of work because we ended up uh, rewriting a lot of the code actually. And and, and so I had some students work on on kind of an implementation that was a different one than the original one that we had done way back at the the VRViz. And because it was done, this was done in in Java. And then I, I did a lot of work to clean up the code to rework some of the data model and so on so that that was a lot of work that went into that also caroline sinkevich did a lot of work on that also to work on performance and so on so this took several months of of quite intense work and actually i, I think i spent most of my my christmas break mm. 2006 or seven i forget uh hacking um <laughs> and then to get it out and was it worth it i think so i mean that i think a lot of people 
got to use something that otherwise they would never have even heard about. And that mm -hmm. page actually gets quite a bit of traffic still. Of course, now it's kind of outdated. It needs to. It needs. Uh, it needs an update. That's for sure. Um, and I'm not sure when I'm going to get around to that. I really don't know. I feel guilty for not having done that. But uh, it's it's something that the problem is not so much. Well, the, of course, initial work was a lot of work, but then also keeping it up to date and and keeping keep adding features is a ton of work, tough. and that's kind of hard to to really have that time to do that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it was worth it. I think it's always worth it to get stuff out there, uh, and and have people play with it and see it, uh, and and hopefully you know like it and find it useful. Yeah, so yeah. Robert, you never had somebody picking up from where you left, from where you stopped, and trying to do something on top of your code. I, I guess the code is is open not source, right? It's open source. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm aware of. No, there are a couple of papers that that reference the work and that where people have have apparently used the program, but um, I'm not aware of anybody actually building stuff on top of it. No. Okay. Which is too bad because I think there's actually a lot of there's a lot of stuff to be done there as well. But not even not, not even aware. private companies interested in using it for their own purposes or stuff like that. No, this company, and I forget their name, in Sweden, they wanted to add uh, the technique to their toolbox, but I'm not okay. aware of any of them actually having done it. So okay, I can't say. Okay, good, Robert. I think we could keep talking for ages. <laughs> and we just started. Yeah, we just started. <laughs> I, I feel. I mean, yeah. Sometimes it happens. I we are talking for for some time, and it it feels like we've been talking only for a few minutes, and it's one hour and a half. Um, yeah, it's been great having you here. Well, Maybe thanks we for having me. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, super interesting. So we are looking forward to to hear what are your next to actually see what are your next uh, steps, and I'm sure you will be blogging about it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I hope to have you again as an host in the future and see yeah. maybe keep keep discussing about these whole things. Absolutely. Okay. And let's hope let's hope Tableau for Mac with that storytelling component is like out in summer. <laughs> yeah, I would really, really would love to have that. I would really love exactly. to. Have I'm not that. making any promise. No, no. <laughs> it takes time. I, I I can see that. So, but we are looking forward. So, okay. Cool. Yeah, it was great having you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Thank bye, you Robert. Thanks. And talk bye, to bye. Take bye, care. Bye. bye.